The Christian faith has, over time, developed movements. Just as certain groups would mark time passing on a calendar, we mark seasons and relate spiritually acceptable truths to them. The time leading up to the annual celebration of Christ's birth is called Advent. The season leading up to the annual celebration of Christ's resurrection is called Lent. And though these seasons of faith were not recorded in the New Testament, the spirit of them is throughout Christian history. Other churches with a higher emphasis on liturgy, you know, uh, they by and large make a much bigger deal out of these seasons. Some of them have specific rules, written or unspoken, that one follows during this season of Lent, if you're part of that tradition, uh, abstaining from eating certain foods like meats, fats, and sugars. In fact, I didn't know up until Jackie was researching it um, uh, before Ash Wednesday. They call it Fat Tuesday. Um, And one of the things that they used to do was they would um, actually make the king's cake, make the cake or whatever, whatever they're going to eat. So they'd use up all their eggs and their sugar and their fats on the, by that Tuesday so they didn't even have it in the house during Lent. And so they would enjoy these, these uh, sweets and cakes on that day before Ash Wednesday. Uh, I didn't know that. That was an interesting little tidbit. Um, and we... We do have, however, in our tradition of the Church of Nazarene, hasn't been historically taken a hard line on Lent. Um, We believe prayer and fasting should be a regular part rather than just a seasonal part of a person's spiritual walk. We haven't relegated it to an annual season of life. Although the main thing that most people think about when they think about Lent is prayer and fasting, we'll save that topic for another Sunday. The intentional practices or spiritual disciplines that Christians have um, partaken of over the years, they help us to focus our spirit on the sacred. Focus on the sacred, on the holy, on the things of God. We can't hope to succeed at connecting with God by, by fasting, praying, and confessing, or even fellowshipping without first consecrating ourselves. And that's what we're going to talk about today, consecration. It's a fancy word for sure, but one that has a simple meaning. Consecration is to set something or someone apart for a particular purpose. In Scripture and in Christianity, most would say consecration um, was set apart for a holy purpose. And I want to look at three different aspects of consecration. We've got, we've got examples from scripture, of course. We've got examples from history, Christians down, down the ages, and then some practical applications for our daily life. I have to, I'll, I'll get uh, an object lesson out here towards the end, but consecration, okay? Consecration, and this, this leads us to our main passage here today, uh, Joshua chapter 3, Verses 1 through 5. You've got verse 5 there, but I'll read all five of these from the NIV. You've got the ESV throughout your your, uh, bulletin there. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, 
when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will be... Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, This passage talks about a lot of different things, but specifically we're going to talk about the people here because it's the people that are told to be consecrated. Um, it's one of the first big things, this, this activity that's about to take place, whatever it is, if you skip ahead, you find out what it is, um, is the first big thing, one of the first big things that happens under Joshua's leadership. Uh, the torch has been passed to Joshua and the people are following him now. His men have carried out a successful spying mission, and now it's time for the children of Israel to go to the other side of the Jordan River. They are still, uh, they still are to stay a distance away from the Ark of the Covenant and the priests carrying it as they, as they are led towards their new destination. Now, the Bible says uh, that the distance is about 2,000 cubits, okay? 2,000 cubits, quick Bible conversion math for you, because I know everybody loves a good math problem on a Sunday morning in church. But a cubit is about 18 inches, okay? You listen in math, math, math people here? Six, that's 36,000 inches in 2,000 cubits, or if we reduce it back down to feet, 3,000 feet. I did all this math online. I didn't do this in my head, so I know it's right totally. So 3,000 feet is just about 0.6 of a mile. Now, take that into consideration. See where you're sitting here in the sanctuary. You know what's approximately 0.6 of a mile? I do. I Google mapped it, okay? (laughs) We've got the Vernon County Fairgrounds is 0.6 of a mile from here on the roads. Uh, We don't have a clear shot view right now from to the county, but pretend like you did. So that is how far away they were supposed to stay from the priest carrying the ark. So even as the priests dipped their toes in the water and it receded up in a big wall, I picture the people of God taking a big sidestep to cross the Jordan River because they still had to stay a distance away. This is just what I'm picturing, okay? I hope I'm getting it right here. But they still had to stay a distance away from the ark as they were crossing on dry land. Now, I say all this to paint this picture of how amazing this site would have been. But Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves. Why did he do that? Well, it's because they were going to be part of something amazing that next day. They were going to be part of something amazing that next day. Um, When we intentionally set ourselves aside, we can be used by God in ways we never could have imagined. We can see God work in ways we never thought possible. When we set apart, when we are set apart for God, we can best participate in what God's got going on. Now, we jump to another passage in Scripture in the Old Testament. It's a little further down the line. 1 Samuel 1.11. Okay, 1 Samuel 1.11 is another example of a person being consecrated. And that person was Samuel. But it was before he was born 
His mother was overcome with sorrow of her own barrenness. She couldn't have kids. She tried, she couldn't. And she cried out to the Lord and vowed that her son, the son that God would bless her with, would be given back to God, consecrated to his purposes in service in the temple. Um, 1 Samuel 1.11 says this in the ESV. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor, no razor shall touch his head. God blesses her with Samuel and she in turn consecrates him as she promised, as she promised, she made a promise, she's keeping it, giving him to live in the temple and serve under Eli the priest. Easier said than done, and we've gone into this story before, but how amazing. God, if you would, I will, and she does, and it happened. Exodus 19, 10 through 11, and a few of these next passages will be in Exodus, because a lot of that happens there. Exodus 19, 10 through 11, the ESV says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and they will be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Let's just look at that first part of this passage. This is in preparation for meeting God. In this passage, God plans to come near his people. Rather than them coming up the mountain to him, there is still this barrier, though, that God told Moses to put in place. But regardless, they still needed to be set apart consecrate the people. Something important was going to happen. And you know what? I I feel like this is saying to us here is there's no time for a divided heart or divided allegiance. You need to be totally set apart for God. As as was fleshed out later on in the verse, anyone who touches the mountain, who, who crosses the boundary here, will be put to death. They go into the details of stoning any animal or person who does this. Exodus 28, 41, we get some instructions for Moses to consecrate Aaron and his sons. As their priestly garments are placed on them, the men are set apart. They are consecrated. So not only people, which we've got several examples right there, but also objects were consecrated. Um, coming off the previous portion of Scripture, Exodus 28.2, the garments that Aaron would wear in service. Uh, verse 2 says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you might be wondering, well, where's the word consecration in this verse? I thought this sermon was all about consecration. I thought it's supposed to be in every single verse. Well, here's the deal. In that verse, the word holy in this context is referring to something removed from common use. Removed from common use. That's that same idea of being set apart. So the words intermingle there. These garments are no longer your average everyday clothes. They are holy because they are set apart, consecrated. And in Exodus 40, 9 through 11, 
Many other items are listed off in the same vein as these garments. The tabernacle, its furniture, the altar of burnt offering and its utensils, basin and that basin stand, they're all consecrated. They're set apart for a holy purpose. Not only people and objects, but locations. Location, 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 right? Locations. One other example is that mountain that God was coming down. He was telling um, Moses to consecrate. Moses said to the Lord later on, when God's like, hey, let the people come on up. And Moses is like, uh, remember God? And God's like, yeah, I know. But it says, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Because God's exclusive purpose, his choosing of the mountain and its limits, it wasn't just your ordinary mountain. As if any mountain could be ordinary, but it wasn't an ordinary mountain. It was a consecrated mountain. It was set apart for a holy purpose. What about this practice of consecration throughout the years? Well, first, of course, we want to start with Jesus, right? We've looked at these examples of people and objects and locations. Well, let's look at it in practice. Jesus, he, of course, sets an example of spiritual discipline that we model our lives around. What were some of the practices that Jesus engaged in to stay connected with God was that whole purpose of being set apart and consecrated. Well, he ministered to others. He taught and preached. He had times of prayer and solitude. Before Jesus began his earthly ministry, his first, he first sent, spent 40 days and nights fasting and praying, wandering in the wilderness. He relied on God to sustain him through this time, not himself. And God did just that. During his time in the wilderness, he was tempted. Tempted to end his fast and satisfy his bodily desire for nourishment. He was tempted to show the world who he, were, who he really was by jumping off a high place and having angels swoop down and catch him. And he was tempted to save mankind, gain the world, if you will, in this context, by means other than God's plan. Each temptation connected to those things. Each time he battled, he was victorious. But he did have to battle. He did spend time alone in prayer and fasting. All the while, he was set apart for the work of God. About Peter, I have a quick little thing about Peter. Peter in the book of Acts uh, is recorded that he was up on someone's rooftop and he was praying. We know the, the fuller story of the the blanket being let down with the unclean animals, but the whole idea, the fact that he was setting himself and setting apart himself for some time alone with God, praying on a rooftop. And it, even though he was hungry, it says in the passage, he didn't come down just because he heard, smelled some food cooking. He didn't come down until God had le- eventually led him to his meeting with the Gentile man that he was supposed to meet. He didn't come down just because he was hungry. Now, fast forward to a little bit more recent history, a man named John Wesley, you may have heard of him. Um, one of the inspirational things that um, our district superintendent does is he sends out emails and things like that and encourages us uh, as pastors, and we want to sh- spread that with you guys all the time. 
And recently, Dr. Kevin Donnelly um, wrote about this season of Lent with regards to our, our theological forefather, John Wesley. He said, John Wesley practiced fasting and prayer throughout his adult life. It is a powerful means of grace in the life of a disciple of Jesus and a time of pouring out our empty uh, or emptying ourselves. Dr. Donnelly also went on to write that Jesus' desire for us is to experience deeper communion with God in a refreshed intimacy from fasting and prayer. Imagine the possibilities of Lent as we follow Jesus' example. And there are many other examples, I'm sure, of people consecrating their time to the Lord. But just starting a clock and phoning it in is not good enough. Trust me, I have tried that. I don't know if you're, I'm going to spend 15 minutes. I'm going to spend an hour in, in reading the Bible. I'm going to do, you know, it's all about the time. And then when the timer is up, then you're like, well, I'm done. Did my thing for the day. That's not what it's all about. The consecrated Christian recognizes that all they do, however they spend their time, their money, whatever they set, are set apart for a holy purpose. Everything is in their life. No more just getting into heaven or just getting by in life. Living a fully surrendered, sanctified, holy, evangelistic life. That's the way to go. Practically, what does this consecration thing look like, you might be asking. Maybe you've already got some great ideas of your own, what consecration looks like in your life. But I want to paint just one more picture about consecration and what it looks like in our daily life from 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21. And and before I I read the scripture, I have to get, I have have one object right here and I have another one. It might surprise you. This right here, you can see it. Okay, so I got a beautiful coffee cup and I have a trash can. Okay, two of the weirdest, possibly weirdest object lesson objects that I've ever used in a sermon. We're gonna see if it'll work today, okay? Let's read 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21. Now in a great house, There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to imagine... I want you to think of something in your house right now. This is not one of those magic tricks where I try to guess it, but I want you to think of something in your house, some container, specifically a type of container in your home that you would consider honorable. A container. I know it seems weird, but a container that you would consider honorable. Okay, and you've got it. I don't, you don't need to share it, but I've got a few examples, okay? This isn't my coffee cup, so it'd be a little bit better if it was, but coffee mug. I love coffee. If you know me for like five minutes, you know that I drink coffee like all the time, except for when I forget it at home today. And, um, and I enjoy coffee, and I would take that coffee cup, and I would not 
put anything else in it. I wouldn't put just plain water in it. I wouldn't put milk. I wouldn't even put soda in my coffee cup. That's for coffee. Maybe tea, but mostly just coffee. I can go from one cup of coffee, never wash it, put another cup of coffee in there for days on end. Maybe rinse it, okay? But I love, and specifically, I love my coffee cups. They're great. Now, you might also, in your home, have trash cans. Very useful. We need some place to put our trash. But I ain't drinking coffee out of this. I'm telling you what, okay? I don't know about you, what your tea or your coffee or your hot chocolate. I'm not going to drink it out of a trash can because that's not what it's for. But for me, you know, the honorable uh, vessel, <laughs> it's not made of gold or silver, but it's a coffee cup. And maybe the least honorable because, yeah, you know, who likes taking out the big bag full of trash? It's got yuck on it. You guys know we got guinea pigs, so... Uh, it's gross. Who wants to take the trash bag out? But eventually someone does and it gets taken out, but you still have to go wash your hands after every time you touch it and it just, you feel, but you know you need a trash can, right? They both have uses, but one is more honorable. I love my coffee cup. Trash can, you can just stay there until I need you. Um, And maybe we have another couple other examples Uh, Maybe it's a special plate. (laughs) Some people like to joke around and they're probably not joking at all. Everybody has has their favorite range top burner. That's the one that they use. It's their primary use burner on their stovetop. If I have all the other ones, if I'm making two things on the front, then maybe I'll use the ones in the back. You know, there's always one that has priority in someone's home. That's what adult looks like, I guess. Um, maybe, maybe you really use a blender a lot or um, a special plate, something like that. Um, maybe something else for you that is a very honorable container, maybe a jewelry box. You know, it is a special thing you've set apart. It has something very special to you inside of it. Uh, maybe your refrigerator. I really appreciate my refrigerator. I've, it's got all the things that I like to eat. Um, and so Paul is telling Timothy that in a home, we've got these items, these vessels that are honorable. And they have uses. And other common items have, are, uh, for, that are dishonorable, but they also have uses. And I, I think, you know, I think another kind of gross one is a toilet. Everybody wants one of them in their house. You know a house that doesn't have one because you can't stay there very long. But you're not going to pick up your toilet or your trash can and walk around and show it off to people. Look how I got a brand. You're going to want to see this. Maybe you're, maybe if you just install a new one, you're, you're all excited. What about a junk drawer? We all got one of those probably. But you're not going to be bragging on it. And you're, every time you look at it, you're like, well, there's the thing I needed. But I'm not going to hassle with organizing this junk drawer because that's what it's for, right? It's got a purpose. It's not very honorable. Okay? Um, All these vessels are useful, but again, you don't want to carry them around bragging about them. This season in the Christian calendar we call Lent, it's been set aside by Christians down through the ages. It itself, the time prior to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is consecrated to developing a deeper connection with God. And hearing from him. Again, those are things we ought to and should be doing on a regular basis as Christians. 
But throughout the years, we've developed this pattern this season where we extra focus, I don't know how else to say it, on doing just that. As Christians all over the world observe this time prior to the celebration of Christ's resurrection, we are united in purpose. It's almost like a New Year's Day where people look back on their life and make fresh commitments for the coming year. Uh, Perhaps you're already practicing consecration in your day-to-day life. Well, I know you do it at least once a week. Look around the room. You're here. You consecrated this time to come and worship and learn and listen and participate in the body of Christ. You've set aside this time to fellowship with other believers. Um, It's not just merely going to church for you. You've decided to connect with God here. And perhaps throughout the week, you do other similar dedications of your life and your time. I know some folk, um, the first thing they do do when they wake up is is to read scripture or pray or reflect on that scripture. Perhaps your daily... You daily work through a prayer list, putting the names of people into the ear of God, so to speak. Your dedicated time is set apart for his holy purposes. That's when we get to be participating in something awesome. Maybe you haven't developed any specific dedicated time or practice, and that's okay. Some people, it's best to just show their full dedication to the Lord's purpose by doing whatever the Holy Spirit leads them to next. But this is evidence of the activity of consecration, a life lived for God every step of the way. During Lent, we may choose to consecrate this time by fasting from certain foods. We may stay off social media or pick up a book before we pick up the TV remote. Whatever it is, may it be unto the Lord. Consecration satisfying us, sanctifying us, and setting us apart for his holy purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are awestruck at the fact that you would look at us and say that we're worthy to even set apart. And the truth is we're not. You set us apart because you are holy, because you are worthy Any holiness that we might ever be attributed to us is because of you. And so we ask today, would you set us apart? Would you help us to practice the activity of consecration in our lives, setting apart time and willingness and whatever it is, having a heart that's consecrated unto you every single day. And I pray that you would help us to seek out your holiness, your ways. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.